Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Rurong Living, Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with GotYour6Coffee.com, where Navy veteran Eric Hadley is committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused necessity of coffee with his passion for public service. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country? Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted award-winning coffee at gotyoursixcoffee.com. Welcome to this episode of the Get Up Nation podcast. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Dr. Stuart Eisendroth, the author of the new book, When Antidepressants Aren't Enough, Harnessing the Power of Mindfulness to Alleviate Depression from New World Library. Dr. Eisendroth has been on the front lines in the treatment of depression as both a researcher and a clinician for over 20 years. He shares his expertise in how mindfulness-based cognitive therapy can bring relief to chronic sufferers of depression. The World Health Organization estimates that there are over 100 100 million people worldwide suffering from depression, and more than one-sixth of Americans take a psychiatric medication, usually an antidepressant, as they pursue health, wholeness, and healing. Such a pleasure to share with you, Get Up Nation, Dr. Eisendras' expertise and insights when it comes to mental health. Thank you also to Kim Corbin of New World Library for connecting us. Doctor, great to speak with you today. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Your book is phenomenal. For anyone who suffers from chronic depression, I would highly recommend that they access your book. Will you share some of your experiences as a researcher and a physician and why it's important for you to create this book? Well, I've been involved with depression and treating it for many years. And one of the main stimuli for this book is that the most common treatment for depression in this country is antidepressant treatment. And antidepressants can be fine, it can be life-saving for some people, but unfortunately, they don't help all people. In fact, in the largest study of antidepressant treatment, the STAR-D trial, if you treat someone with an antidepressant for 12 full weeks, only 30% fully recover. If you take the group who haven't recovered and give them a second antidepressant, an additional 20% recover. So that means after two full treatments, only 50% of people have recovered. So at our UCSF Depression Center, 
we wanted to develop a treatment strategy that would help those people who hadn't recovered and give them something that would empower them to be able to deal with depression. Amazing. And I know that people often feel helpless and hopeless as a result of depression. For those who are not familiar with depression and its symptoms, will you share what symptoms frequently occur in the life of a person who suffers from depression? Well, there are traditional symptoms that people think of with depression, things like loss of appetite or, on the other hand, overeating, early morning awakening, or sometimes excessive sleeping, psychomotor slowing where the person moves more slowly, loss of energy, loss of ability to concentrate, sad mood, suicidal thinking, and those are some of the more common symptoms that occur in depression. But what isn't recognized so readily is that there are certain cognitive symptoms of depression, meaning the person has negative thoughts, negative automatic thoughts that pop into their mind and they don't realize that these thoughts are symptoms of depression. They tend to believe those thoughts. So that's something that we need to address and mindfulness-based cognitive therapy does focus on that. In your book, you describe how depression is similar to asthma. For people who have misconceptions about depression, will you share how depression is like asthma? Well, yes. Depression tends to be a recurrent disease like asthma is. So people with asthma, when they have a recurrence, they don't tend to be critical of themselves. They realize they have a chronic illness. But with depression, when a person has a relapse, they tend to be very self-critical and regard themselves as a failure, as morally weak, and blame themselves. Self-criticism is another major symptom of depression. So comparing one illness to another, in asthma, there's much less of that self-blame. There's an acceptance that they have a problem and they need to treat it. So for any chronic illness like that, diabetes or so on, there's less of a critical attitude. But with depression, the person often has that approach and they feel helpless and hopeless, which often leads to them not seeking treatment because they believe the negative ideas that they're having. And you write in your book, in mindful approaches to depression, the key is not to find the origins of the negative feelings, but to change your relationship to them so they no longer have significant power in your life. What impact does altering a person's relationship to negative feelings have on those who suffer from depression? Well, it can have a dramatic effect. For example, if you think of a small town with a street filled with storefronts, and in each storefront is a negative thought. And by a negative thought, I mean ideas like, I'm not a good person, I'll always be a failure, or I'm not as good as other people. Negative thoughts that tend to be symptoms of depression and also lead to further depression. So if you think of the storefronts filled with those kinds of thoughts, as you walk down the street, if you're depressed, you go in the store and buy that thought. You believe that thought. If you're changing your relationship, as we teach people in mindfulness approaches, they walk down the street and they see those negative thoughts in the storefronts, but they don't go in and buy them. They walk on by. So those negative thoughts are still there, but they actually fade into the background and you're able to continue on the path walking down the street without being 
so affected by those thoughts. You talk a lot about in the book of self-empowering techniques that can help counteract some of these symptoms that can help give people some options for resilience or for working their way through those recurrences of symptoms. How important is it for people suffering from depression to find a technique that is self-empowering, that they're able to practice on their own without a therapist present, in addition to therapy or taking an antidepressant medication? Well, it's very important because, as we just discussed, depression tends to be a relapsing illness. And if you have one episode of depression, there's a 90% chance you'll have another episode within 10 years. And if you have two episodes of depression, there's a 90% chance that you'll have an episode within three years. So you need to have some type of skill that can help prevent relapses. And mindfulness-based cognitive therapy has been tested for preventing relapse. In one study, a group of people who had fully recovered from depression with an antidepressant were given the additional treatment in one half of the participants, they were given mindfulness-based cognitive therapy treatment, and then the other half, they just continued without that. And it was found at the end of a one-year period that the people who had received mindfulness-based cognitive therapy had twice as good a chance of staying free of depression as those who hadn't received it. But in an even more important study, with a much larger population, people were again split into two groups. One group received maintenance antidepressants for two years, and the other group received mindfulness-based cognitive therapy and then was tapered off of their antidepressants, and they were also followed for two years. And the findings were essentially identical in both groups, meaning mindfulness-based cognitive therapy was just as good as preventing relapse was actually in the study slightly better, but not statistically so. But so there was essentially equivalent to antidepressant medication in preventing relapse over two years. And of course, the people in the group who received mindfulness-based cognitive therapy were on no antidepressants, so they didn't have the side effects and other problems that can be associated with antidepressants. Will you describe what mindfulness-based cognitive therapy is? what it is and how it helps. Well, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy is a combination of mindfulness meditation blended with some concepts of cognitive therapy. It uses mindfulness as a primary focus of teaching people that skill. And mindfulness is being aware of the experience you're having while you're experiencing that situation. So, for example, we teach people that they may be meditating on their breath, and as they're meditating on their breath, feeling the sensations of their breath, they start to notice that their mind wanders, and then what we teach people is to gently and kindly let go of the mind wandering and bring the attention back to the breath. Now, in depression, the mind tends to wander towards negative things, negative thoughts like, oh, I should have done this or that, or I should have said this in this situation, or I'll never be successful. I'll always be a failure. What we teach people is those 
are thoughts and not facts. Those are merely thoughts, and you can, once you recognize it's a thought and not a fact, you're much freer to be able to respond more skillfully. If you're doing a meditation, when you notice you're having a negative thought, you can say, ah, there's my negative thought again. I'm going to bring my attention back to the breath. And in that way, you start to learn that you can actually alter your relationship to those thoughts. Not that they go away completely. That's virtually impossible. But instead of being burdened with that thought, you can change the relationship to it so it no longer has to be ruling your life. You no longer have to believe that thought. You can recognize it's just a thought. And will you share how mindfulness is like falling awake instead of falling asleep? That's right. Mindfulness is like focusing your attention as if your attention is like a spotlight that you aim wherever you like. You may aim it on your breath. You may aim it on a body sensation. You may aim it wherever you like. And as you do so, you're not falling asleep. You're very much awake and focus and that attention can take place in a couple of different ways in one form of mindfulness where you have a discrete meditation you practice focusing on something for a period of time and maybe five minutes or 30 minutes whatever time you feel like and you focus your attention during that discrete period in other forms of meditation, what we call dispositional mindfulness, you carry mindfulness throughout the day. So, for example, if you're walking somewhere, instead of just walking and letting your mind wander, you focus your attention on the sensations in your feet, in your lower legs. And when your mind wanders, you bring your attention back to the feet and legs. So, again, the key element is focusing your attention. And that's what I meant by falling awake. Instead of sort of going and zoning out and not noticing what's going on or even falling asleep, uh, which sometimes happens, you're focusing on being aware and focusing the spotlight where you like it to be. And there's another aspect to it. As you focus your attention on something, that's, you can think of that spotlight having a lens put in front of it a lens of self-compassion so that that lens brings both attention to an area and also self-compassion. And self-compassion is so important in people with depression because they're so critical of themselves that they often are stuck in blaming themselves. And what mindfulness and self-compassion do is help the person to recognize that there are alternative ways of seeing the world. For example, if you make a mistake while you're doing something, in depression you may be very critical of yourself for the mistake. On the other hand, if you bring mindfulness and self-compassion to that same mistake, you may say, okay, I made a mistake. That's what people do. In fact, making a mistake is what binds me in a manner of common humanity so that I can learn from my mistake. Instead of just being critical, I can learn from it. And in fact, people who have self-compassion are less worried about making a mistake and are more willing to take chances in the behavior that they carry out. 
for people who deal with chronic and recurrent depression, how can your book help them develop and sustain resilience in their challenges? It can help them because depression is associated with these negative thoughts. And the person can recognize their thoughts. For example, someone might say, I'm not a good person. What we help them recognize is they're actually having the thought, I'm not a good person. And once they make that slight difference, but it's an important difference of recognizing it's a thought and not a fact, they're able to have resilience in how they deal with it and respond more skillfully to it. So they're able to move on with their life rather than being bogged down. And in depression, a person generates a lot of negative thoughts, and they may get completely bogged down by them. But with mindfulness, and those negative thoughts may in turn worsen depression. So it's a cycle, it's a downward spiral. A person has depressive thoughts, and those depressive thoughts lead to more depression. In other words, the person gets more depressed about being depressed. And with mindfulness, we break up that cycle and the person can recognize those thoughts are just thoughts. It's like if you look at a table and you say, okay, there's a table, that's a fact. If you look at the table and say, that's an ugly table, that's a thought about the table. I may say a table is beautiful. You may say it's an ugly table. And those are thoughts about the table. But the fact itself, the table, is really the only thing that we can pin our money on. I see. There is often stigma associated with mental illness, which prevents people from accessing mental health care or reaching out for help. Will you share who will find tremendous value in your book as a way to help them become more acquainted and comfortable with mental health concepts? Well, you're right. There's a lot of stigma associated with mental health problems. And in fact, the most common treatment for depression is really no treatment. But the people feel so helpless and hopeless and believe negative thoughts that they don't seek treatment. So it's important for people, especially I bring this point home in the book, when people have these kinds of thoughts, to recognize they're just thoughts and to get some kind of treatment, whether it's antidepressants or mindfulness-based cognitive therapy or other forms of psychotherapy that are available. There's a really a wide variety of treatments that are available these days for depression, and it's important to recognize it can be treated. It can be treated very successfully with the broad array of approaches that are now available. How satisfying is it for you who have dedicated your life to this field to see people positively impacted by your book and as a result of your expertise? That has to be something that affects you in a positive way that helps you feel connected, helps you feel like you're creating positive impact, that all of your striving and work and sacrifice has created something that's so successful in helping people. What is your experience as a person who is giving the world this book? How gratifying is that for you? Well, it's very gratifying because our research has shown that when people do this technique, they have less depression, less rumination, less anxiety, increased self-compassion and increased mindfulness. And when you see somebody who has completed working their way through the book 
you find really wonderful things. For example, one fellow who was very self-critical when he started said at the end of eight weeks, I guess if I can forgive myself for my mind wandering, I can forgive myself for other things. Hmm. And the way he lessened his criticism of herself was just remarkable. For a woman who started working with this technique, who came to it because of anxiety problems, and she would feel very anxious about her children. She had three children and worried if they went out on a Saturday night or if one of them borrowed the car or something. She worried that there'd be a disaster happening. She was plagued by these thoughts and came in saying, I want to get rid of these thoughts. And what she learned is she really can't get rid of those thoughts. The thoughts are going to be popping up just like our mind is a popcorn popper. She's going to pop up with those negative thoughts. But she learned she could really just recognize them as thoughts and they faded into the background. As she said, it's kind of like a radio that's been turned down. You're aware of it, but it no longer has to rule your life. Now, the book is available, but then there's also, do you do talks and classes? Do you have things scheduled here to notify people about where they can hear you talk? The book just came out last month. I've been focusing mainly on interviews, and that's been keeping me busy. But I plan on participating in a number of seminars across the country in the future. So people watch my website, www.stewarteisendraft.com. There'll be updates there where I'll be speaking. Doctor, I always end the show with six questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Are you willing to run through these six quick questions with me to help Get Up Nation members understand how to follow your example and create positive impact in their sphere of influence? Sure. All right. Who are you thankful for today? Well, I'm thankful for the original developers of mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, Zindel Siegel, John Teasdale, and Mark Williams. They really broke new ground in starting this and helped me get started with it early on and help bring us to a, a larger number of people. And now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today? I'm thankful for a technique that can help people make dramatic changes in their lives. It's so wonderful to see people learn a technique that they can apply and be empowered to do something about the depression so they're no longer stuck in the mire of depression. I'm very thankful for that. And as you help people overcome depression, how do you fuel the fire within you? Well, it's actually easy to fuel the fire because when you see people respond, as I have, it's really remarkable. And it highlights for you that when people are feeling helpless, it means they don't think that they can do anything to help themselves. When they're feeling hopeless, it means they don't think you can help them. And so what I learned by using this technique is that I can help people and they learn it themselves and thus learn that they're not helpless. And what is one thing adversity taught you to value? Perseverance. That even though you're feeling depressed at one point in time, that if you persevere, you can make dramatic changes. And sometimes depressive episodes can lead to much more positive changes in your life. 
What are you doing today you may have never thought you could? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I think I've written a lot in the past, but I've focused on more academic books, like mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, innovative applications. It was really written for clinicians and researchers. So this book, When Antidepressants Aren't Enough, Harnessing the Power of Mindfulness to Alleviate Depression, is one that I aimed at the public. So it would bring these techniques to a wider audience. So that's one thing I really wasn't thinking of earlier in my career, but I feel very good about having having done that to feel a sense of accomplishment out there. And then what will you do tomorrow that you may have never thought you could? I think I'll be able to continue bringing this technique to a much wider audience. I originally got started in using this approach with a large number of people in some respects, but it was limited to a clinical setting. This book opens up the pathway for a much broader audience of people to learn these techniques and apply them. How can people learn more about you and your work? Well, they can go to my website, www.stewardisengrab.com. And of course, there's a lot of material there that discusses mindfulness. I have a talk and a blog there. And in addition, of course, they can buy the book, which explains their techniques in much more detail and has uh, associated audio files of meditations that people can use they either download or stream so that they can get started with meditation techniques right away doctor thank you so much for joining me on the show today this book that you've written and your life's work is profound and so happy to help you share that with my audience to help them anybody dealing with depression or any of these symptoms and, and helping them to get up and persevere through their challenges as they deal with this. Just an honor to speak with you. Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it.